Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Jason Mark Campbell. I met him at a Mind Valley reunion event a couple years ago in San Diego. He was so bright and colorful and sophisticated, super classy. His energy was really clean and we just really headed off. There was thousands of people at this conference and it was just so filled with love and inspiration and positivity and these people who are just ultimate leaders in the world. And I definitely knew I wanted to stay in contact with him. So here he is on the show, Jason Mark Campbell. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes, definitely. Recently, you went to Bali. So you're in Bali right now. That's correct. So I had this, uh, it's actually very interesting. So for any of your listeners who believes in, you know, listening to your intuition and also, you know, embracing your feminine energy, I have to open up with this story because I was originally living in Miami. And when I moved back to uh, Malaysia, which is where the headquarters of Mind Valley is, I was there with my partner. And then what happened is she felt the vibe was off in Malaysia. And this was back in January. So she makes the decision. She says, I feel there's a calling that I should be going to Bali. And I said, well, I think I need to stay in the office and, and work from here. And she ended up using, if you're familiar with uh, Oracle cards. So she ends up, you know, in the process of making a decision, we like, we didn't want to be apart, but she wanted, she felt this calling to go to Bali. She ends up, you know, pulling an Oracle card based on that question. And what the answer came up as was a new life. And so she made the decision of moving over to Bali. And then shortly after I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I can set myself up to work remotely. I'm pretty sure Mind Valley will be okay with me being a remote worker. And so early February, I followed, found myself here in Bali as well. And then all of these lockdowns started happening. The coronavirus became a thing. And then quarantines were happening that were quite strict in Malaysia and in America. Yet in Bali, we seem to have very low cases, very low severity of cases. So it's kind of one of those divine interventions and great opportunities to be able to relocate here. And I'm quite blessed to be here. Definitely, definitely. My childhood dream um, has been to go to Bali. And I always knew I was going to go there. And a few years ago, I did a video about um, going to Bali. And then I was supposed to go last December and I didn't go. And then I've just been like wanting to go. And like now more than ever, I'm just like, I really think, and just by even connecting with you again, it's just like, that's just an even bigger calling for me to go, you know, one way, try it out. I can work remotely, which is awesome. Thank goodness during these times. So I may be seeing you in live person very soon. (laughs) That would be amazing. And I highly encourage anybody who wants to consider it to uh, give it a try. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So um, do you go swimming every day or every other day? Well, I wish I could say that I'm as active as that. But no, I, it's, you know, it's almost like you don't appreciate the things that are in your backyard sometimes. And uh, I will say I went swimming in the ocean for the first time a couple weekends ago. I tried surfing for the first time. And it was very interesting because, you know, being in Bali, you would think it's so easy to pick up. But I was kind of afraid of starting to go surfing. You know, you look at those waves, they can kind of look pretty big. And I was like, oh, do I want to go there? Then, you know, I was thinking, like, are there sharks in that ocean? Like, and which is not the case. And so I gave, I, I took the plunge. A friend, a friend told me like, Hey, come and try it. We have some instructors and I went to do it and I absolutely loved it. And so now I want to bring, you know, surfing into a new hobby because it's so relaxing. It's so peaceful, trains your patience and has a bit of that rush, which kind of is a bit of a kind of meditative and life appreciation exercise itself. So mm-hmm. I'll find myself jumping in the pool almost every day, but the ocean, I won't go as often. Also yeah. for those who are just listening, might not realize the 
fact that I have one of the palest complexions you've ever seen on a man. And so for me to go into the sun and into the ocean equals uh, a very high risk of burning. So I have to be prepared. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing all that excitement. How neat. Yeah, so- it's, it's, it's really fun. So I have um, some questions. So you, when did you start writing your book? So you have a book coming out in February called Sell with Love. And when did you start writing it? So the creative process is interesting, right? So I've, I'll start with how long have I been wanting to write a book? So I'm a part of, you know, by being a part of Mind Valley, which is all about personal growth, education, and, you know, setting goals and, you know, working on being the best version of yourself. One of the exercises I did, or maybe around, you know, seven years ago when I started was a concept called three most important questions. And when you go through that, you define what are the experiences you want in your life? What is the growth that you want to achieve as you go through these experiences or is necessary for you to have those experiences? And then finally, once you have the abundance in your life, how do you want to contribute back to the world? And in that growth category, maybe seven years ago, I I wrote a goal saying, I want to write a book, right? And so when you ask me, when did I start writing a book? I would say I probably spent six years setting it as a goal and doing nothing about it. I had too many fears. There was too many things that I would tell myself, like, I'm not ready for it. I don't have anything to talk about. I don't think anybody will read what I have to say. Um, I think if I write it, people will laugh at me. They'll say, like, what a sorry excuse of an author. Like, that mental chatter of negativity around doing something so bold, so perceived risky, or at least putting yourself out there seemed like, and, and I say this in hindsight, because before that, I was just like making very comfortable excuses as mm-hmm. to why I was not taking on a bold project. And it was only about last year that I actually, uh, about 11 months ago, I ended up having a bunch of serendipitous moments and synchronicities happen where I was working with some agents that were helping me book clients on a podcast that I was managing. And then they also signed authors to write books and they did a training on how to teach authors how to write books. And so I got curious and I said, hey, I've set a goal about writing a book for a long time. What's the deal? And so I decided to go to a workshop. It was a, a two-day workshop on how to write Where? a book. This was actually in Austin, Texas. Um, oh. So if um, for those of you who might be familiar with an author called Tucker Max, I uh, wrote some probably some uh, non-PG books when he first started. Uh, it was kind of an entertainment blog, but really transitioned into building a solid business, teaching people how to write. And it's funny because I found myself spending $10,000 for that workshop. And shortly after uh, we finished the workshop, actually on the first first day of the workshop, they announced that you could actually learn everything that's going to be taught in this workshop for free online. I was like, okay, and now I tell this story to people and they're like, wow, did you feel like you lost $10,000? And the answer could be further from the truth because now I'm in the final stages of my editing. And sometimes what is important to you, you want to invest in it so that you show how much you care, be supported through it, be coached through it. And the funny thing is, is those two days of learning how to write a book was pretty much one day on how to overcome your fears as to why you're not already writing a book. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a lot of hesitation and friction that happens if you don't deal with the fears that are ever present. Just do it. Like Nike says to win, just do it. And you know, the best investment that we make will always be in ourselves and it will never be wasted. And it's always will be something we learned. So originally when you started and you planted the seed, you planted the gem and the idea was amazing manifestation. So it was a a seed that you, on a psychological level, you planted the seed. It was a manifestation. 
So, and how many years ago was that? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Okay, yeah, wow. So you're coming into like a, and then it was like a, it's like a rebirth. It's like you laid the land, you planted the seeds, and then when you actually went to go to the workshop, the foundation was already laid out for you. And then you were just taking action with all the things you were going into. It's really cool. And if you, I mean, if you stretch this out a little more, like if I would have, you know, started seven years ago, I didn't have a solid topic. I didn't have something that I had feedback. And, you know, I, I feel like in manifestation, we sometimes have impatience. And I think in that impatience, we don't open up to the opportunity of what our manifestation could unfold as. Yeah. And so in those seven years, of course, I didn't pick up a pen or start typing on a book, but I ended up having these synchronous moments that would come into my life, such as a public speaking workshop, which I had to come up with a theme on the spot. And for some reason, I had a download, which was all about selling with love. I did a three minute talk. People loved it. And then I went to an event that was called A-Fest, which is uh, a Mind Valley event with you know international speakers. And uh, to keep a story short, in the process that all the international speakers were booked, one of them had to cancel last minute. And I ended up, and you know, actually I had prepared slides. I had assumed that I was going to deliver that talk on a major stage. And so I just went to the founder of the company and I said, hey, Vision, like that speaker canceled, you should really put me on the stage. And next thing you know, he found someone else. And then I thought, wow, there goes my opportunity. Oh, wow. And then such as the universe would have it, that other person came to cross the border and their visa got denied. Wow. And so at the last, last, last minute, it opened up again. Oh. And I still assumed that I was going on stage, even if I had a no. And so guess what I did? I prepared. My slides were tweaked. I rehearsed. And so the morning of when we realized that there's going to be an empty slot if nobody takes it, well, guess what? Little Jason here was ready. And so wow. they said, okay, well, go on stage and don't mess this up. And of course, <laughs> the talk that I gave was on selling with love. And it ended up being the number one rated 20 minute talk at the event. Wow. Congratulations. Thank that you. Is, Thank that you. is that is the definition and story of when um, of of luck when preparation is met with opportunity. I mean, that's a clear vision of it completely. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, your destiny, you know, you knew it. That's so cool. Yeah, And it's there, Wh that's why I always was say that? like, there's a level of patience to have, because even if I wouldn't have been selected, well, I still had now a product. I had something I could pitch. There was something I practice and something I can learn from. And I think that's one thing you need to appreciate in the process of manifestation is that patience is necessary. And the worth and the, the self-worth and the, the, like you were going to do it. You were like, whoa, like I stepped up. I, I went to the person. I said, I'm the person you called it. You told the universe, you just like owned it. So so that's a part of it as well. So that's so cool. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. more than half the battle, right? What, what you were saying a bit earlier. Exactly. Yeah. And then that became the basis of what inspired me to realize, hey, I do have a message. Hey, this is worthy of a book. Of course, there were some years that still went by because I had that resistance. But again, the universe started unfolding the right connection, the right publisher, the right talk, all of those things unfolded until the ultimate moment that I made a firm decision. But at the same time, Katie, I look back on it and I think if I would have made that firm decision earlier, I think the universe would have accelerated earlier around me. But again, I think it'll always bend to what level of readiness that we have. And so if you want to accelerate that or not, there is a bit of flexibility, but I'm really happy with the timelines that came up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I've been noticing recently, I just had like an epiphany recently, I don't know, in the last like two months, but it's like when I was talking about manifestation, it's like the seeds planted, you know, and, it, and it's like this, the energy that we don't see, some people see energy, or it's an invisible thing that we feel that we don't see, some people see it, but it, it goes in a circle, and then it comes back around, and then it comes back around, and you're working on projects, and you see, like, oh, this is familiar, oh, and then, and then it, 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 it wasn't fully birthed, but then it comes back around, it's like, oh, this is familiar, and it's full 
fuller, but then it's not fully birthed. And then it keeps in these cycles, these cycles keep happening and then they get bigger and bigger. And it's like, it's like, it's not just like a poof, it happens. It's like, it's a manifestation, right? And it, it, it continues with the, the energy, right? So hundred percent. Yeah, that's so cool. So, and then um, you mentioned publisher. So um, are you working with someone? Are you releasing it as an independent artist? Like what, what's your lane for the writers on the show and the people who write books? Yeah, for me, it's kind of a guided author self-publishing process. So working with this, uh, these individuals at Scribe, which uh, I think is just a fantastic way to go at it, given that for me, when I, I look at the objectives of the book is going to be something that supports other things that I'm doing online. So I would say I don't label myself as a, a writer, but I rate myself as an author. I'm a salesperson first. So my, my primary business is going to be functioning and the book will become an instrument that supports me as, as a, an entrepreneur and as a salesperson as well. So I decided not to even pursue the publishing route because I knew if I had to go through the publishing route that had a lot of like, I wouldn't have the ownership of the book. You could get a big advance, but I thought it'd be more fun to be able to work independently, self-publish, but still be guided in the process. And so this is what I've chosen as a path, which seems like a much more modern way of publishing. And mm-hmm. so I'll have a lot more flexibility with my book. I'll be able to give away a lot of books. I'll be able to have the ownership of the IP as well, which I think is a is an important thing in the strategies that I want to use the book for. But Definitely. when it comes to choosing those kind of venues, I think the, the like realizing what are the what are the strategies, like what are what are the objectives of writing that book? And I think that can dictate a lot of the paths that people can take. And do you want to share on that topic as well that integrates with your sales and marketing? Yeah, well, if someone's listening to this and, and you know, your real objective is because you want to become a full-time writer, then I would probably suggest that you're going to be looking at, you know, having major publications that are going to be recognized that you're going to be targeting to use, you know, to go for the New York Times bestseller. Uh, you might be going into some particular niches that some publishers might be able to support with. In my case, being that I'm using it as a business tool, like to me, the book is going to be, you know, as a primary, of course, I want to be able to support people, transform lives. The messages is really focused on the impact. I can deliver that impact in many ways. You know, I can do an online course. I can, you know, host a podcast. I can write a book and I, I can do many different mediums of making the impact that I think is so worth it for people to learn how to sell with love. And in the case of whatever creation that you're trying to make, you know, if you're anchored in that first impact, then the medium that you decide is just a choice on what is going to serve strategically more the objectives of the business. Because in my opinion is like anything that you want to make an impact with, you should treat as a mini business. Mm -hmm. Like the impact, the change, the problems you want to solve is always a mini business. Even if that mini business is deciding to be a full-time employee somewhere, even if that mini business is to go into a particular industry, if there's something at the core that you care and love about that you want to change in the world or make better in the world. So in my case, being that I'm in the the process of sales, I know that, you know, having a book is something that will be able to reach the masses, will have a low price point, will be able to be quickly digested. The ideas will be able to be really synced in because, you know, if I do a video, you know, you look at the average attention span for some videos that you put online, they're very, very low. Yet if I look at someone that picks up a book, you're able to have people that really take on the ideas. And the fact that I'm writing something that's going to really be about changing people's mind, I think the medium of the book is the most important. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And then what's your email? So you can um, be in contact with people so they can, you know, look forward to seeing your book. Well, I think the easiest thing would be for people to connect with me on social media. I mean, my full name being Jason Mark Campbell. Mark is with a C because I'm French Canadian. And um, and so when you look that up on Instagram, send me a direct message. I even have, you know, uh, a framework that can teach you how to step in that emotion of love for whatever it is you're trying to create in the world. Because at the baseline, I do believe we are all salespeople. I mean, whatever industry that you're in, whether you're trying to get a job, sell a product, find your ideal lover, you're going to be in a sales process. And if you do it from a place of love, you're going to see that all the manifestations 
manifestation and the magic starts happening in a flawless way. And I think that a lot of the listeners on here are artists. So they have that hardship of like analytical sales numbers and it's difficult. So, you know, being a creator of music and being in the craft of emotion, you know, it's really great to be able to share from a heart center to learn how to tell your story and do it from the heart center like you're talking about. So it doesn't feel like you're actually selling. I always say for me, I'm sharing a lot of um, I've been a brand ambassador for so many products and people are like, is this your company? And because I'm Greek and I grew up, you know, with unconditional love, I only can talk about what I truly believe in. And then it, it because it's from within me. And so it feels like I'm just sharing and gifting insight and value and experience. So is yours similar to that? A hundred percent. And you know, I love the fact that people who are artists who know how to speak the language of emotion is what's necessary to make people move and, you know, mobilize or take action. And so, you know, if you're always going back into the rational side of things, that actually doesn't get people to move. You know, the if you're looking at the data, the statistics, you know, all of those rational reasons somebody will want to make an action or, 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 you know, do a transformation or purchase a product. The rational pieces are just there as a check and balance. They're not what will move the needle. So I'd feel artists are actually at an advantage because you already know the language of the heart. And if you just compare that with an objective of just having an understanding that, hey, what is that language that needs to be necessary for people to understand the value? Because you're so confident and so sure that the moment they have it in their hands, they're going to get so much more than what you're asking in return. And that's where I feel you can really step from a place of love and then let the rationality just be something that's a check and balance but you're really selling from the heart you're really selling from love oh i love that i love that and then um where did that stem from how did you put this together like obviously it's in your innate soul and your circumstances who you surround yourself with mentors like um are there some books or people along the way that shifted you on your journey did it stem from your family who how, what what are some first memories you had that planted this path for you <laughs> okay, so the first one I can think about that I think is so fun to share, um, because matter of fact, I've noticed that a lot of people have blocks around sales. It's it's a very common thing. The idea of selling seems terrifying. A lot of us have had, you know, possibly not so positive um, encounters with the process of selling when we were younger. I love that you've mentioned your Greek history being filled with unconditional love. That is a really strong basis for people to have that self-esteem, that confidence to know that you can sell. And it's okay to ask for what you want without necessarily getting an approval. And that's okay too. Now, for most people, you know, the story might be going something like this. You want something because, well, first off, Katie, let me ask children, do you think they're natural salespeople? I, I, I mean, yes, just yes keeps coming to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you see if you see a child that wants something, they'll usually go like, can I have it? Can I have it? Please, please, please. And they'll be relentless. They'll follow up. They'll ask. They won't hesitate. So they're they're going to be natural salespeople, but they're going to be very bad salespeople. And I think an example of something that could have happened in a lot of people's past that could have created sales blocks is in the instance that, you know, maybe one day mom and dad are a little tired. And then maybe one of those days you're really, really excited about getting that new toy or that new thing that you've always wanted. And of course, you're impatient. You have no empathy for who you're selling to. You're just a child that's persistent. So you're a really bad pesky little creature. And then you keep asking mom, dad, please, please, please. And if they get to a point that they're annoyed, you know, the event could happen where it's like, hey, no means no, stop asking. And that can leave a really powerful impression for people that are going back in the world and being like, oh, I shouldn't ask for too much. You know, I shouldn't follow up. I don't want to annoy them. I'm afraid that if I do this, they're I'm going to be rejected and it's going to hurt because that memory can be very powerful in holding you back. And so this is something I've noticed with a lot of people I speak to. And I, I find that's the basis of a lot of what I've 
created is how do you overcome those? And, you know, if I think of my story, I, I always think of my earliest sales story. Now, you know, I always think of my, my first sales jobs. Maybe I had that enthusiasm, but even before that, for me, it was very different. I don't know if it's a question of being lucky or just something I decided to pay attention to and anchor strongly. Mm-hmm. And it goes like this. In high school, I had to do this charity drive, which was, you know, selling these little chocolate covered almonds. They were called the world's finest chocolate. And I had to go knock door to door. And then for people who bought the chocolate, some of the proceeds would go to charity and it would support the school funds. So it was a beautiful thing to sell. And so the first person I went to knock at the door with, you know, little Jason here goes, um, hi, you know, um, I'm, I'm from the local school. I, I live next door and I have these chocolates. They're very tasty and it's going to support charity and it's going to cost $2. Would you like to buy some? And the reactions from the neighbors was really like, oh my God, that's fun. Of course, we'd love to support and they buy a couple of chocolates. And I'm like, wow, look at that. I'm making people really happy by going to sell to them. And so I've already had that kind of first impression that made me realize that when I sell, you know, people respond well and they like it. Especially with chocolates. And it got even... It's chocolates, right? Like, and you know, we didn't have as much awareness about health and fitness, you know, and all those things. So maybe it was a better time to be selling chocolates. Now maybe I'll sell protein shakes, you know, yeah. um, vegan chocolate, vegan chocolate, and all that goodness. And I think it was the fifth or sixth door that I knock at. And the lady that opens the door, I make my little sales pitch and I felt very proud. And she says, just hold on right there. I'm just going to ask if my daughter wants any. And then her daughter came down the stairs, which was this beautiful woman of my age that I've never met before and lived right next door. I couldn't believe it. And so we ended up uh, exchanging numbers and she became one of my first girlfriends. Mm. And so you can see here that anchoring sales with love was pretty strong from the start. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. How sweet. That's a cool story. it was a funny, a funny first sales story. And, you know, from there, I just always had this enthusiasm. I just knew how people light up the moment you sell them something they really want and they get mm-hmm. it and they love it. And then I was like, wow, I've helped create that. It's almost like introducing two friends that you end up, you see that they become best friends yeah. and you feel like you've been a part of that is how yeah. I feel about every time I sell something I have passion for. Yeah, that co- that connection. They call me Katie the connector. Casey's my initial. So they call me Katie the connector. I just love because like when I see you and I think of you, and then I think of someone, I'll just connect you because I'll be like, oh, that's a good vibe connection. How I like my friend Matt too, he's in Bali. And I'm like, yo, how long are you there? If you open to it, like, let me hook you up with like Matt too. He's amazing, international like you. Like I know there's going to be good vibes because you guys are like in the same, on the same, you know, like tribe stuff. So I think it'd be really cool. That fills your heart. It fills my heart as well. Um, Okay, so when you were speaking, I had an idea that came to my, my mind. So in reference to what you were saying is, the word is domestication. Most of the population were taught to be domesticated. So Miguel, who spoke at Mind Valley Reunion and his son that year in one of his books, I read Mastery of Love, um, the Four Agreements and the Fifth Agreement. And he talks about how we're domesticated. So people have this fear and they're taught, no, no, don't do this. And they're, everyone's prim and proper and, oh, girls don't speak. And so it's the domestication process that, you know, kids are taught from their parents, from their grandparents. So based on circumstances. So that's why, you know, we're sharing and talking about these kind of things to plant new seeds and new communications of vibes to make this the new normal, right? Um, of a healthier way of being because people are this way. But now before now with technology, we're able to share it on bigger platforms. Whereas before people were in their villages or in their homes doing these kindness, love actions. And the other people are like wondering, how is this happening? How is this happening? But it, it wasn't shared. So now we're able to share, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We get to have access to so much more information that lets us challenge that domestication and make ways that are much more productive, much more impactful, and leads to more happiness, more freedom, more abundance, which is everything that we should be getting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
with Vision, you worked with him for seven years. I'm sure you guys have so many stories and you've traveled the world together. So what's, what's a cool Vision story between you and Vision um, during your experience at Mind Valley? All right. So, my God. So, and, and I'll make a small correction there. It's Vision with a sh sound. So, Vision being the, you know, founder, CEO of Mind Valley. Um, my God, we went through so many journeys together. I think one that would be very interesting, especially in this topic, is that what most people might not know from Mind Valley is that before Mind Valley is the Mind Valley we know here, is it was actually publishing other authors uh, and having Mind Valley be a little in the background. So, we're talking about platforms such as the Silva Method. We're talking about authors like Christy Marie Sheldon. We would be building their websites, we would be marketing their products, their material. And Mind Valley was just a little footnote. It would mm -hmm. be a little logo you might see when you're about to put your credit card information since we were doing all the administration in the back end. And Vishen Lakiani was not an author that was put on the platform. He did speak in some of the circles for marketing and had been on some of the stages, but it was never really with a focus on Mind Valley. He was just speaking his own thoughts. And it was only in 2013 that Mind Valley decided to put themselves as a brand. And this was the moment that I had joined Mind Valley. So this was the first time we launched what we called the Mind Valley Academy. This was the first time Mind Valley as a brand was putting itself out there and saying, hey, we are the guys and the girls behind putting all these brands on the face of the internet and making sure that people are getting transformation with these products. And if you come to us, you can see that um, you can buy a lot more that, for your transformation than just this single path. Then as we started embracing Mind Valley, we saw extraordinary growth. And I was in, I was being a part of that initial growth, created the first you know membership program at Mind Valley. And what happens is as we were selling, um, it was called Consciousness engineering. This was like a place where Vision interviewed other authors. And it was amazing because Vision, you know, people, you see him, he's an amazing teacher, one of the best public speakers I've ever seen. He's a trainer. He really makes people, you know, think, transform and develop new ideas. And he has tons of material over the years of doing what he does. And I'm sitting in a meeting with him. I was the launch manager for um, this, this program where he interviews other people. And I'm sitting with my colleague, Gavin, and we're just looking at Vision. We're like, there's something else we need to sell. We need to sell you. We need mm -hmm. to sell you to teach your methods on how you actually teach people to become extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think people will buy. And so even someone like Vision had his doubts, yep. his insecurities when it comes to selling yourself. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, going out there and selling a trinket that you know is really cool and maybe sold for really cheap to someone else is a very transactional process that if you, you're like, there's no risk. You're like, yep, great trinket. Yep. Price is good. Yep. These people are going to benefit from it. Let's go out there and sell it enthusiastically. No problem. But when it's you, it's your face, it's your art. A no is not just some distant no. It's something that can feel like a personal attack. It can feel like something that invalidates you as a person. And the risk feels high because you put yourself under pressure and you also have the expectation of delivery. So how do you come from a place of love when you put yourself out there knowing that you're also responsible for the delivery? And I always tell people that it's always worth taking the risk because the fears that come in our mind and the stories we tell ourselves about the rejection that could happen in the cases that are more than likely not going to happen are going to hold you back from amazing learnings, great connections, and your path towards that greatness is going to be filled with people that will want to take a chance on someone that's willing to put themselves out there. And so I want to keep that into the minds for the people. And in the case with Vision, we told them, hey, don't worry about it. I think we can have you do six trainings. You know, once this is sold, you're going to have to deliver six webinars or six or eight webinars, and we're going to sell it really expensive. He's like, we can't make it that price. But then we're like, no Vision, we're going to make it more expensive than any program out there because it's going to be live training with you. And we 
know you're going to deliver awesomeness. Now, in his case, you know, this might be a great discussion to talk about should you get agency or not. But in this case, we're two employees that became Vision's agent and we told him you need to charge more and you're going to deliver this. And he's like, fine, let's do it. And this was the birth of the product that a lot of people might be familiar with called Becoming Limitless. Mm -hmm. And Becoming Limitless became one of the best courses on the Mindvalley platform, shifted Vision from being a founder entrepreneur to also be founder, author, teacher, and has put him on the forefront of being one of the greatest teachers we have on the platform, being the CEO of the company as well. So this is this is an amazing story because you can see how even as someone who's a founder entrepreneur running a you know tens of million dollar company a year can still have their own doubts of putting their message out there. And when you overcome that, whether it's because you do the work and you kind of identify those fears and you conquer them, or because you're always in this state of manifestation, you just seem to attract the right people around you who will push you outside yeah. of that comfort zone and make you realize the incredible things that you can create. It can be what leads to all of this progress and all of the things that were created from the point there. The book was birthed from that course and Mind Valley as we know it and Vision as we know it was really at that turning point. Love that story. Love that story. And yeah, it's um, you know, a couple key things. It's all about your support system. So he had an amazing support system to really take him to the next level. And before that was, I don't know, I don't know. It's because you're so emotionally attached to it. There's so many emotions. We're emotional beings. You know, the mind's just a tool. So it's we're emotional beings and our emotions. So if you take all the emotions and put them to the side, right? So I started, um, you know, like back in the day, people are like, oh, do stand up, do stand up. I like kind of did it. And I'm like, I'm not going to like do stand up and like do like one liners. I'm like, that's not my thing. I'm a storyteller. But I was so emotionally attached to my stuff that I couldn't share. Years later, just last October, I'm kind of turned over a whole new chapter in Leaf. It took me a long time. It took me like over a decade, a while. I was so emotionally attached to my little girl stuff where I couldn't get on stage. But now I go on stage and I laugh about certain things and pun on my family and say certain things that I normally wouldn't say because like I'm not literally I'm like cut from the umbilical cord. So that was me. I don't want to say that I didn't have support, you know, but that was me kind of like fishing through it in my own artist journey business kind of way. But when you have that support system and you're able to be vulnerable and communicate those things, you're able to get through it with the team a lot quicker, right? So thank God he had you and Gavin with that process. That's so cool. That's a neat birth story. Yeah, it was it was a fun moment. And you know, it also it makes me think of this one thing that was shared to me and this was a man I interviewed. His name was Brad Martineau. And he coined a term that I call that he called ideitis. Ideitis? Ideaitis. It's it's kind of like having this obsession over the one idea. And when you have that, you become so attached to it emotionally that you absolutely want it to succeed. And it almost brings you this paralyzed notion. And I see a kind of similar parallel when it comes to sales of whether it's an idea you're trying to sell or a product you want to sell or a person you want to sell to. A lot of times we do get so attached because we feel that if it's not this person we sell to, then no one else will buy. And that fear of rejection and this attachment to a single event can be really, really strong. I mean, even if you speak about, you know, public speaking in general, you feel like that one speech will be like, you will freeze and you will never do it again. And you're terrified until you realize that, hey, maybe there's a lot of speeches that I'm going to be giving. Maybe there's a lot of times that I'm going to jump on that stage because I was somebody who could not speak in front of an audience. I would turn like pinkish lobster red, uh, similar to the shirt that I'm wearing for those who (laughs) might be seeing this. And, um, And I was terrified of public speaking. And then, of course, I started to practice. I started going out there until I realized that after I've done it maybe 10, 20 times, I was like, well, I'm still alive. So there must be something here. And I see him getting a little, I did not die. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and and then I seem to be getting a little better in the same way that if I ended up doing a sales pitch, like the first time I called somebody, I was terrified. Then I started doing a hundred calls and I'm like, okay, this is not bad. I'm just following the process. Just like coming up with an idea. If you have someone, if you're someone that comes up with many ideas, you don't get as much attachment to it. And so I love the fact that you've went on stage, you did stand up comedy. And of course, if it was the only time you could feel very attached to it until you realize that, hey, maybe this is something I can do a few times. Maybe I don't need to be so attached to it. And it's almost in that detachment phase that you end up being able to let go and let your true self shine. And I feel like probably a lot of the artists and actors might be feeling like, oh my God, this one part that I need to play is going to be the it. And, you know, I think that's where practice just makes you have a refinement of your skill and a detachment of the single outcome, because now you're seeing that there's many opportunities for this to always happen. And now you can just show up with your best without any of those fears, limitations, blocks that come up at the same time. Yeah, it's a practice to remind ourselves each time, just get out of our own way. And these are some tricks and tools of how we can get out of our own way. 100%. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit? Oh, no. Oh, where I wanted to go with this was, um, so you have your own podcast and I love the name. It's called Superhumans and it's um, affiliated with Mind Valley. So uh, again, when you approached um, Vision at AFES and say, I want to be a speaker, did you approach um, Vision and say, Vision and say, I want to do a podcast with Mind Valley? Like, tell us the story of the birth of Super humans. Yeah. So Superhumans at Work is a podcast published by Mind Valley, which I end up being the exclusive host for. And it's it's very interesting. I will we'll rewind because the first thing that happened is I was being recognized as someone that can do very good interviews, that was doing better public speaking, especially with that uh, that talk that I'd done at AFIS. It kind of shifted the energy as to what I was being recognized for at Mind Valley. And so at some point, I was about to launch an academy about um, you know professional growth skills that are necessary to thrive in the workplace. And so this was a project that I started with, and these were live interviews. So like we'd go into a studio and we do these interviews, and this was a highly rated product. I got to interview a ton of amazing people in Malaysia and this was around the world so I would go Mm -hmm. to studios in LA studios in New York Uh, we'd sometimes film in in Malaysia as well and then whenever we would do an A-Fest I would often find some of the speakers and bring them onto my stage as well so that was one thing that was birthed out of just having that consistent like I was always recognized in the workplace as someone who optimizes who invests in themselves finds the new tools always at the cutting edge and I think having that kind of relentless enthusiasm around wanting to do better made me be the host for these types of platforms So eventually, as I was doing this, uh, I think it was maybe in 2019, I was doing a few of the interviews and everyone on set that were filming were coming to me and they were like, Jason, your interviewing skills are incredible. Like you do this really well. And I was like, oh, guys, obviously we work together and you're you're like you're you're being nice to me. I appreciate it. But I kind of brush it off. And we sometimes do that. Right. Like we don't let good feedback sink in. But if someone critiques you, you will bring that to the grave, you know. So I think there's there's something we need to switch there. But then some of the authors, I would finish doing an interview with an author and the author would come to me and be like, that was an amazing interview. That was really fun. And I feel like you really made me come out with the best material. And I was like, okay, this is great. And the word started getting out. And eventually, um, Vicious, we're, we're having kind of a meeting about the future I have with Mind Valley, And he's like, I keep hearing the crew telling me that you're doing incredible. I keep hearing the authors saying that they love to do interviews with you. I think you should be able to launch a podcast on this and I would give you full trust ownership 
leadership on finding whoever you want to interview, doing it in the way that you want. And Mindvalley is going to take care of everything. You just need to show up and do interviews. So that's an amazing opportunity. And again, it, it kind of comes if you if I would have just told that part of the story, you'd be like, wow, that came out of nowhere. You must have incredible manifesting powers that just, you know, only think of it and it comes. But again, there's that consistency that I had with the way that I'd show up, the way that I would produce and the practice that I would be doing. I mean, right here, we're doing a we're doing an interview. And obviously, there's there's a camera for those of us who are watching on the video format. But if you're just audio, there's a camera that's looking at me throughout the process. And I remember being terrified of speaking in front of a camera as well, like no audience feeling like you're alone. You look ridiculous, don't you? Well, I locked myself in a studio room with a teleprompter and just started reading scripts for a day uh, just because I was like, hey, I want to get better on camera. I should be pretty good at reading scripts since often you need to speak with scripts. So why don't I lock myself in a room and just start reading so I can get better at it? I even started a show that uh, I did, I think about 35 episodes where I would just talk about what's happening in online marketing. And the first eight episodes I never released because they were so terrible, at least for my standards, but I showed up. I just did them you know, at my computer. I recorded them, didn't publish them, but I said I was going to do one every week. So I kept doing it, kept doing it. On the seventh or eighth episode, I decided to release it. And I did this for a couple of weeks, up to 35 episodes until we realized that it wasn't aligned with the objectives of the company. But there I was, I was like, what is the thing I can do that has low risks, provides value and allows me to nurture my skills and become better at it. And so for anybody who might be an artist or someone that does any kind of speaking, or you're trying to train your voice, starting a podcast, going on YouTube and just posting videos, even if you have nobody watching, the value that you get from putting yourself out there and not feeling so emotionally attached to any event that puts you in an uncomfortable situation, such as I don't like speaking in a microphone, I don't like talking to a camera, then find ways to do that. Do it a lot. And there's yeah. so little risk and you become so great at it in the process. Yeah. And I loved what you said. It's like the key thing was like, I'm going to do one video. I'm going to take one day and just record myself, shut the door, record myself. You started with one day, one step, you went in and you got messy. And that's like beating the imposter syndrome of having everything to be perfect and getting in your own head and looking at social media for four hours and then say, okay, let me lock myself in the room. No, clear your mind, clear your schedule, have some tea, get yourself into a good position, make a goal, make a commitment for two to four hours and just go and do it and start messy. You don't have to publish it. You don't have to post it or you can. But like you said, just like start, just like do it. So that's super cool. That's super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, cool. No worries. So let's talk about productivity during quarantine. So um, how's that been for you? It was interesting when I shared my initial story on how to get to Bali at the beginning. It was really when I already realized I had most of the tools I needed to work remotely. I had taken that leap of faith uh, back when I moved to Miami initially. When I was back in the office in Kuala Lumpur thinking I needed to be close to my coworkers, I then realized, hold on, I have all the tools to work remotely. Why wouldn't I work remotely? And is it more valuable for me to be close to coworkers or to be close to clients. And so when I decided it was better to be close to clients and that there was a huge community here in Bali, the decision became easy. Now, when COVID started spreading and quarantine started happening, uh, Vision actually turned to me and I had a call with him and I said, Vision, like, what can I do to help more? Like, obviously these are, you know, tough times. I want to be able to maybe serve the team first. And he was like, that's a great idea. And I said, why don't I do this? I'll teach everyone on the Mind Valley team how to work remotely because I've been doing it for so long. And so he's like, that'd be great. So I created a little group and I started working one 
one-on-one with key employees, no matter what level, some were in customer support, some were launch managers. I said, anybody at Mindvalley who wants to be taken through a productivity coaching program, come and talk to me and I will help help you through it. So I designed a program for everyone at Mindvalley. It was a one-week productivity while working from home. And so I, I took them through a bunch of lessons. I made them optimize how to clear their emails. I made them do all these amazing things. And then by the end of it, all of them were so relieved. The stress, the burden, the boundaries now were all set and they just felt so empowered by going through it. And then word got around and then the people were saying, wow, I went through this. This was incredible. So Vision comes back to me. They're like, hey, everyone you worked with is really productive and really happy. What did you do to them? Yeah. What did you do? Share with the viewers some tips. Well, one of the things was just making them take an, an inventory of their current environment. Like, what does your emails look like right now? Is there a ton of emails in your inbox? What does your desk look like? Are there mm-hmm. things and papers everywhere? How many tabs do you have open? Like all of those things that are happening, like give it, take a snapshot because if you do any kind of personal growth, it's kind of the, I kind of layered the same way that we transform in personal growth is the same way that we become productive. The first step is awareness. And so Mm -hmm. I said, take a picture of everything and then send it to me. They're showing me their emails. They're showing me their documents, how they're organized. And most of the people were a little all over the place. And Mm -hmm. that sense of overwhelm. Like my podcast, she's all over the place. (laughs) There you go, which is not a bad thing, but it actually, if if, if what you're looking for is productivity and structure, then then you might want to be able to have a look at what is it that is unstructured in your life because that environment will reflect back to your mental state. Okay. Definitely. Most people are looking at their desk they're like well it's a bit of a chaos i'm like how does your mind feel they're like a bit of a chaos i'm like well you know Mm -hmm. the proof (laughs) is in the pudding the proof is in the pudding and then what i ended up making them do is just like first clean your desk like just clean your desk clean your work environment make it into the way that you want your work environment to be and hey if being creative means you need to have a bit of messiness then make like set intention to your place of creation and when you do that you'll see that you'll have more intention to the processes in your mind as well and Um, how can someone set intention Well, if let's say you're trying to be someone that gets more done per hour, let's say you're wanting to be clearing more emails, you want to be able to write documents, you want to be able to get into a space of doing research, what is the environment that you feel makes you in the best mental state? So one intention could be I want to be in the best mental state to birth my creation. And let's say it's a writing project. Mm -hmm. Well, then you look at your environment and you're like, what would be the thing that would make me the most conducive to be able to do that task? And maybe you'll realize that, yeah, everything should be cleaned. I should have my tea. I should have you know, a little notepad and everything should be great. And I should feel that everywhere I look around, I'm inspired. I'm feeling that the sun is near. I have joy that comes. Maybe I'm hearing the bird sounds. You know, this is the ways that I would go crazy right now when I think of how I want to be able to write. Or maybe you'll decide you want to go to a cafe and because you want to be in that fresh environment that brings those ideas. And so the intention could be, I want to be in a creative space. Maybe you want to be in a hustle space. I mean, I have nothing against hustle if that's an intention and something that you want to do. And so what does a hustle you know, space look like. If you, if you see my hustle space, you'd see, I'd have two monitors. I have like my keyboard. I have my, all my things well set up and I'm ready to like, you know, conquer the day. You could say deadlines kind of put some pressure deadlines and around. If that's the kind of thing you like. And for me, I do love the deadlines. I do love the constrictions because I think with constrictions, you have more opportunities to make the most of what you have. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I walk them through that whole process and there's a lot more things. And I mean, if anybody wants to go through the process, what ended up happening is Vision said, you did so good for the employees. I think the world needs this. And mm-hmm. so I became a Mind Valley author and I created a five day training on how to become more productive while working from home. Yay. So if, and it's a, and it's absolutely free. So if you do want your audience to look at it, um, I could give you the link for it. Definitely. Let's put it in the show notes for sure. I would love that. They would love that. I think that would be awesome. And I'll share it with a bunch of people too. Perfect. So I'll send that over. It's just mindvalley.com forward slash remote. 
Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, or is there anything you want to share with the viewers? Well, you know, I'm so happy I get to share on so many different topics. So I hope this has been helpful for a lot of people. I'm hoping that you're going to be able to apply some of the ideas when it comes to selling with love. And, you know, just to give a recap for people, if you're really trying to sell from love, remember just the first love is always going to be about the impact you want to make in the world. And so if you become more clear on that, whether it's the direct impact to who you sell to, the greater intention of what you want to create in the world, and even the impact you want to make for yourself. Once you have that as a baseline, you'll see that everything else starts falling into place because with that drive of impact, you'll start finding the answers you need to find to be able to manifest what you need to manifest so that that result can come into your life. And so I'd really want people to keep that in mind and whether that's okay, now I need to become more productive to make this impact happen, you'll have that motivation to do it because it comes from a purpose. And I think when you become much more purpose aligned, then you actually start being able to make those decisions quicker without hesitating. You don't need to wait seven years like I did to write a book if you realize that is the most important thing you can do. So it drives focus, it drives priority. Even if that purpose you set is something that might change in a day, in a year, it's okay. Just the idea of being able to move forward with just a bit more energy will bring you towards steps that will unveil what is the next part of your journey. Even if you don't know if it's clear, even if you need to change it, that's okay. I've used to be someone who said goal setting is not necessary and I was wrong. Mm. I think once you have a vision, once you have that purpose, it just makes you take stronger steps, more confidence, more inspired. And then if you need to change directions, well, so be it. You still took those steps and you still grew in the process faster than if you were just coasting. It's kind of like floating down a river, sure, you'll go forward. But if you had a little motorboat or at least a paddle, you'll see that you'll go towards the direction you want and be able to get there faster too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. And then do you have one or two mentors who have led you on the way prior to meeting up with Mind Valley? Oh, yes. And some of them were, were, some of them you would not disguise as angels, but rather as devils, but you needed to recognize the mm. growth that would come from their encounter. Wow, I love that. That's like a whole other podcast. Yeah, that would be a whole other episode, but if I could make it short. Before I worked for Mindvalley, I used to be in real estate and I did real estate investments in the US. I was teaching Canadians how to buy US real estate and um, I ended up buying a coaching program. And you would think a coaching program is something that'll create, you know, um, you'll have a mentor that will support you, keep you safe, ensure that you're taking the right steps and going the right directions. I ended up hiring scam artists. Mm. I didn't know at the time. But they took me through some properties and they made me go visit and they said, anything you buy, we're going to have somebody that's going to you know, fund all your deals. So just go crazy. And this is the way you do it. Nobody will care and you'll be happy. And here I was in my early 20s thinking this is all the way it has to be done. And this is great. And then they're like, how did you like the program? We're like, we bought a ton of properties. They're funding all our deals. This is great. They said, go into the studio and do a testimonial on camera. So we go into a room, we do a testimonial about this is incredible. These people are doing this, this, that. And they ran infomercials across Canada with my face on it about how we enjoyed the program. Only to realize that once that testimonial was recorded, that person who was supposed to fund the deals disappeared. And only through that, I started talking to some other lawyers and title agents, realizing that the process of transaction we were taught was very sketchy. And you had and to sign contracts, kind of, right? Yeah, it was like the... and. Anyways, I won't get into the details of technicality, but um, in essence, I've realized that everything I've been taught was wrong and I need to relearn everything. So I went in a bit of a depression in the process and mm. and I made some adjustments to the lifestyle. And in the process, I had to relearn everything, whether it was about the taxation and implications for Canadians, the process of transacting real estate. And I had to also hustle the hardest I ever hustled to find people to fund these deals, to buy these deals so that we could create the value we wanted to create in the process. And it was tough. It was really 
really, really tough. And I look back at this event, we ended up selling every property we bought. We ended up funding all those deals. We ended up creating amazing assets that were given to Canadians that could hold on that grain in evaluation and everything. And we corrected everything we did and we did things right. And it came at a cost of, you know, sleepless night, crazy studying, finding the right people that wanted to help us. Like people heard of our situation in America. And I, you know, I always give a tip. I tip my hat to Tony Singleton, who was an incredible title agent in Florida that just retaught me everything in the process. She was such an angel. And, you know, there's two ways I can look at the story. And I think we have a lot of power of choice when we look at our past of things that were done wrong to us is I could look at it and say, wow, what a person took advantage of me. How dare they? And the other way I'm like, well, I did hire a mentor. And what's a mentor supposed to do? Are they supposed to keep you safe? Are they supposed to make sure that you never trip? Or are they going to just throw you so deep in the ocean that they'll tell you to learn to swim? And maybe deep down, they had a faith that they knew you could do it. I don't speak to this mentor anymore. I don't talk to him at all. But at the same time, I knew I would have never learned so much about US real estate in such a, you know, short amount of time than if I would have been not thrown into this, you know, hole, sorry, uh, of a situation uh, that I was able to swim out of and have success with. And so do I wish it on anybody else? No. Did I learn a lot? 100%. And in short, from that experience, you walk that path. So now you're here paving the way to make sure it doesn't happen to other people and you have your ethics, morals and values. So you took the upswing of it by, you know, sharing and letting people know about those kind of things too. So, and you have that within you, that weight within you to make sure you create healthier, protective environments for others with love because you know the other side of what's out there. I think there would have been, you know, would I have done better if I would have been taught the right things? Probably. Did I still learn a lot by being taught the wrong things? Definitely. And now guess what? It's what inspires me to write a book on selling with love because if a world filled with amazing people and amazing companies selling amazing products know how to sell them aggressively using all the tactics that people with less morals, less ethics have no hesitations in using, then there will not be a marketplace for people to be taken advantage of because the best companies are going to shine as bright as they know how shamelessly, beautifully, and it'll make the world a better place. Yeah. And that book comes out in February. So make sure you're in touch with Jason. Lastly, I'm just wondering, do you have a favorite book, maybe um, an author um, that you could recommend to some people? It it can be anything. It can be disassociated with anything we're talking about, just something that's really inspired you along your journey, something that maybe you've read a couple times. Yeah, well, you've spoken about this uh, this gentleman already, and I think he'd be the right person to speak about, but I believe the Four Agreements and Mastery of Loves uh, I've even listened to the abridged versions as audiobooks were some of the most impactful pieces of literature that I've read and I think are extremely valuable. And even one of the agreements is highly featured in the book that I'm writing, which is about how no matter where you are, what you're doing, it, it always your best that you're doing. And so all these ideas of being not enough and comparing makes no sense because as incredible as we are as human beings, the only action that is ever taken is your best, whether that's spending the day watching Netflix or whether that's going out there and creating whatever that needs to be is is your best. And if you can actually just step into that self-love vibration of knowing that it's always your best, you'll see how inspired you are to create better and better things in the process. And we showed up for that today. So I honor you on the other side of the world. Thank you so much for being here with me and you're amazing. I would love for everyone to look at the show notes and also go to Superhumans at Work podcast and check out some episodes Jason has put on his podcast. Subscribe to his podcast. And, uh, you know, it would be my honor in the near future to have you back on and we can 
talk about new brush strokes of information and share more love and abundance, maybe after uh, the book launch. That'd be great. And matter of fact, I'd love to, you know, even guide your, your listeners even more. If they find me on social media, such as Instagram, which is Jason Mark Campbell, send me a direct message and tell me what is a problem that you might be trying to solve within your own life, because I could directly recommend you the specific episode that you should listen to that'll give you the most impact. So that way you don't find yourself scrolling. I want you to be able to have really directed things that help you out. So feel free to message me and I'd love to help every one of your listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. Over now. We are, we are out. Detroit and Bali out. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki over and out. Mm-hmm. <laughs>